0: I'll tell you what. I've been to some churches where the folks can get excited. I'm so happy I'm Christian. What? Ours is not a 98, ninety-eight cent God. Ours is a great God. Amen. I want you to know something. He is the one, we mentioned it for a title last week. He is the God who operates outside the box. We should realize that God is always in control. You get up in the morning and you're ready to go and do and say you got a flat tire. Lawrence Crawford had a conference in California and his old brother who lived about 50 miles over that way would drive in from Stockton and he was the first preacher and some preachers just love to embarrass other preachers and this guy was his own brother, his little brother. So you know what? He decided to get him good. And he said, uh, I'll call him Joe. That wasn't his name. Brother Joe's going to come and he's going to preach. This is going to be the first sermon you're going to hear this day. But this is actually going to be the third sermon for Brother Joe. He heard one on the radio driving over from Stockton this morning. And he got another one from a highway patrolman <clears throat> and you know the highway patrolman was so kind, he even left him a copy of his outline come on up Joe and preach the guy who please open your Bible to he had a word to say <coughs> I want you to know we ought to have a word a word fitly spoken May the Lord give me the right words to say. May the Lord give you the right words to say when you have opportunity to talk about Him. Because it's real easy to talk about stupid stuff. Trivialities. Goofy, goofy stuff. But our God, when He does things, a lot of times it's outside the box. I didn't see that one coming. Last week we talked about the fact that our great God, when He operates, He does what seems to be impractical. We talked, and if you missed it, that's just one more reason why I prefer to use that King James Version because it doesn't play fast and loose. When Jesus said, Here. Let down the nets. And Peter decided he's going to heal with Jesus. No need to bother with all of our nets, fellas. Let's just let down one bit. We'll show them. Ain't no fish out there. And the net they did lower was getting ready to break and pull down the ships. And when they finished, he didn't say, Well, Lord, you caught me there. No, he said, Lord, depart from me. I messed up. Peter was shooting his mouth off a lot. And sometimes he realized, I didn't give you the credit I ought to. Don't ever get casual with the Lord. And then we also talked about. In fact, when the Lord told Joshua, I'm going to give you that city, he didn't say, get your bazookas ready, get some poison ready, get ready to give a blood-curdling scream and attack with all of your might. No! they did it the second day. I wonder if those folks on the wall were saying, look at those idiots out there. How how's that they going to accomplish anything? The second day, they did it the same. And the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth. So by the seventh day, they probably figured, hey, uh, they're just a bunch of bozos out here in the hot sun. We're just going to have fun at their expense. But then that last day they didn't stop after one they went seven times and they lifted up and blasted the trumpets and the Lord brought the walls down so what good is it going to do to walk around like that not make any sense well Isaiah 55 we looked at this but I want to read it again verses 8 and 9 for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither your ways, my ways, saith the Lord. God doesn't operate in a predictable way. God does things in his time, in his way, for his purposes, and that's a lot different from us. What's the disparity? I'm glad you asked. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We think about a bunch of stuff sometimes. And the Lord goes and does His work. And if your Bible's still open to Psalm 86, just go to the right a little bit. To Psalm 92, verse 5. I read it again. O Lord, how great are thy works! And thy thoughts are very deep. Sometimes our thoughts ain't so deep, are they? Sometimes we're pretty shallow. So this morning, I want to give you three examples of how when God operates, (coughs) He can do and is pleased to show what seems to be random and unlikely He shows His hand. The world would say, what a coincidence. Sometimes people say, it's a happy accident. But I want you to know that God has got things covered. If you want to see a fulfillment of the fact, as it says in Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together together for good to them that love God. Those are the call according to His purpose. There are no freak accidents that God's. what was going on there? I must have been asleep at the switch. That ain't God. Not the God of this book. I'll give you three examples of that. Abraham had left the place in the east where he was a big shot. And instead of living in a nice house, he lives in a tent and travels down to the land that God gave him. God gave him flocks. God gave him herds. God gave him a son named Isaac. Sooner or later, sons have a way of growing up. He knew He wanted a bride for Isaac. Isaac had, I guess you could call him a half-brother, Ishmael. He went out and found one of the local heathen women and another heathen woman. He took both of them for his wives. I can see Abraham and Sarah. Boy, if they look what Ishmael's done. And then later went out and took a third one. And he realized, I, I want a godly wife for my son. So he sends, he doesn't give the name in Scripture, but most likely, if, if I were to take a guess at it, <coughs> this guy Eliezer, because there was a time when God was telling him, I want you to take your son. And do this, do that. And when the Lord had promised Abraham he was going to have a seed, he said, You're talking about Ishmael? And he said, How about like, if it can't be Ishmael, could it be this Eliezer of Damascus? Apparently, he put a lot of stock in this fellow, this servant. Well, whether it's Eliezer or another, I don't know. But if you read in the 24th of Genesis, it tells us that the servant was commissioned to go back to the old town that Abraham came from and bring a bride for Isaac. That's a pretty heady charge, isn't it? I've had people say go do such and such, take care of this task, and hold my feet to the fire to get that done. And so this man was entrusted with a a great responsibility. We start at verse 10 and talk about the ten camels that this servant took. And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed. For all the goods of his master were in his hand. This guy had some authority. This guy was expected to get something done. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, unto the city of Nahor. That's where the rest of Abraham's family had remained. And he made his camels to kneel down without. That means outside, on the (laughs) outskirts. without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. How many women do you suppose were in that city? Probably lots and lots. And so he stops at the time when the women would come out to get the water. Now I'm supposed to find a bride for Isaac. That might be hundreds of women. No, The servant asked the Lord to bring just the right one. And you know what the Lord did? He did just like the servant asked. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink, and she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. And it came to pass, before he had done speaking, he didn't sit around and twiddle his thumbs for 45 minutes, but behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither... Had any man known her? And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water, thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her head and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. What do you suppose went through his mind right then? <coughs> he asked, and the Lord has given. If I just gone door to door. Hello, uh, would you have any available young women that might want to go with me a, a gazillion miles away and, and marry a young man that you never met? Eh. If you've never gone door to door talking to folks, you don't know what you're going to find. You don't know the reception is going to be there. It's not a task for a shy person. I tell people, I was born shy, but it wore off quick. And so, you have to get out there. But this servant didn't have to go knocking on every door. He came to the well... They came in. It's like something Brother Heath said once. If I wanted to visit half the people of our church instead of going to their house, I just need to hang out at Walmart they'll come on. And <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. You see your king folks and, and everybody else too, seems like. And so, when he says, Lord, if I ask a damsel to give me water, may the one that you have picked for Isaac let her be the one that says can I get some water for your camels too and as soon as it comes out of his mouth here's this young lady and just like he had said somebody says from your mouth to God's ear and look at verse 21 and the man wondering at her, held his peace. He didn't, oh, look at this. No. He keeps his cards close to the vest, but I think his heart was beating a mile a minute, don't you? <clears throat> and the man who wondered at her held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. If you are blessed in a venture, it's not because you were lucky. not because you're so smart it's because the Lord is pleased to bless and he had that sense you know what that's exactly what happened what are the odds that at just the right time just the right woman would come forth she would be qualified She was ready, willing, and able. They go back. You read the chapter. He goes back and he talks to the family. And then the fellows turn to her. Will you go with this man? I heard about one fellow. He has to go, Wilt thou? And when she said yes, he wilted. (laughs) So think of that. Now, toward the middle of your Bible, go to 1 Kings, chapter 22. Many Native Americans had a habit, when they went to battle, they would say it's a good day to die, but I don't think everybody has that attitude. They don't think when they get up in that morning that uh, This is probably might be my last. It's been said by many: treat each day as if it could be your last, because someday it will be. <coughs> well, there was a king named Ahab. Not talking about the guy with a wooden leg that chased the white weight. That was a man in fiction. But there really was a king, and he was the king of Israel. This is after the nation of Israel, the twelve tribes. Had a split. The ten northern tribes kept the name Israel. The two southern tribes took the name Judah. (laughs) And the king Ahab, he was a stinker. He had a wife, Jezebel, and she was a stinker too. Birds of a feather tend to flock together, don't they? Well, Ahab, he decided... I'm going to cover my bases. I don't go in a battle like, hey, hey, look at me. I had a friend who served in Vietnam and told me that when they go into battle in the jungles of Vietnam, the lieutenants would say, now when we get out there, I'm not going to be wearing my regalia, my fancy medals or my insignia. Don't be saluting me out there because the enemy, if they see eight other guys saluting me, they're going to fire at me first. I want to keep a low profile. I don't want to stand out of the crowd. One of the Greeks used to say, you don't want to be the dandelion that sticks up the highest above all the others because that's the first one going to get cut down. Well, Ahab thought he was going to cover his bases. He thought he was smart. So as I said, 1 Kings 22. We'll start at verse 29. So it's, it's battle time. So the king of Israel, that's Ahab, and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. <coughs> And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and enter into the battle. Put put thou on thy robe. In other words, you can wear all the gold and purple and anything else that makes you stand out. You're going to stick out like a sore thumb, but me? I'm going to look like Joe Schmo. I'm going to fit in with my surroundings. No, we don't know. And you're not telling anybody. Because I'm going to survive this. Maybe Jehoshaphat's thinking, oh, thanks a lot for kicking me under the bus. I'm going to be out there all gaudy. Look at me. I'm a king. I'm a target. And you're going to be Blending in. You're going to be camouflaged. When I was a kid, I, I t- asked my dad, How come when people go hunting, they wear all that camouflage? Well, that's so that the, the animals won't see them. They'll look like they're blending in. And then I see these guys wearing these bright orange jackets. I thought they're supposed to be camouflaged, Dad where you see the gear are color blind, but the other hunters aren't. So, well, if you're wearing bright orange, you're less likely to get shot by some doofus farmer. Or hunter. Turn. And so the idea is put into practice here. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into the battle. i just fallen with the ranks. And nobody will know. But the king of Syria commanded his 32 captains that had ruled over his chariots, saying, fight neither with small nor great, save only with the king of Israel. King of Israel, Ahab, he says, I'm going to be smart. I'm going to blend in with the environment little did he know that the other side told all his captains you want to find the king of Israel how are they going to find you they're all dressed alike we heard a prison service once and here in the state of Arkansas state facilities they all were white brother Earl Smith was speaking and he says. I was going to say something to one of you, brethren, but you know, you're all dressed alike. <laughs> Brother Smith could get away with the same thing. Like that. But the idea is, you're uniform. That way you'll you'll blame. Nobody stands out. <clears throat> and so Ahab thought, I'm smart. And it came to pass when the captains of the church saw Jehoshaphat, I mean, he's like a peacock out there, got all his doodads on. They said that must be the guy. Get him! And old Joshua, about <laughs> little old man, what am I going to do? And so maybe Ahab saw it. Looks like my plan worked. I'm going to come out of this thing smelling like a rose. Hey, I want to survive, and that's why I'm dressed like just rank and file. So they said, surely it is the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out, help! You think Ahab said, hey fellas, uh, he's, he's a king, but I'm a king too. No, I'm going to keep a low profile. I'm just kind of in with the crowd. Nobody will know who I am and I will live. Hey who? Decides to run away, will live to fight another day, so he thought. And it came to pass when the captains of the church perceived that it was not the king of Israel that they turned back from pursuing him. So, there he is! Did And so they bring a concerted effort to come, but somehow they figured out this is not the king of Israel. Looks like he got away, guys. But you know what? There was one man there. And he said, we're not going to have a great day today. We're not going to get the king of Israel. (laughs) But you know what? I got my bow. I got my arrow. What can it hurt? you never know. You know what? God guided things once they leave. When David's sling let that stone go, God directed that stone to clock Goliath. And he went down. and didn't get back up. In this case, <coughs> this is years later, one of the enemy, just already got the bow and arrow, I might as well let, let an arrow fly. And so he pulls back and lets it go. What do you think happened? What are the odds that that arrow just <coughs> fired? They say, if you aim at nothing, that's probably what you'll hit. I don't think it's, watch this, guys. I'm going to have be a lucky shot or something like that. No, he just, beep, just let go. He's probably thinking, well, I won't be one for the books. had to do something. What does it say in verse 34? And a man drew a bow at a venture. I mean, just pick a card, any card, so to speak. And smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. See here he is riding in the chariot. Thinking, Looks like my plan worked. (laughs) And now they've decided they're going to quit the battle. I'm going to survive. That's what counts. I'm able to save my hide, And and he gets hit. Wherefore he said unto the driver's church, Turn thy hand and carry me out of the host. For I am wounded. I won't read the rest of it, but as it goes, it tells that the battle went on, but it was it for Ahab. He died. That chariot was filled with blood. Now it's interesting, the prophet had said, that dogs are going to lick your blood. He thought, you're yeah, right. I'm the king of Israel. And you're just some guy that says, God is telling him what's going on. Like that's going to happen. Careful. You know, we talked about the prophets a few weeks back. And this prophet knew what was going to happen. and It happened just like that. What do you think? I know that God does sometimes the most unlikely thing. You know, the Old Testament is about twice as long as the new. So I gave you two illustrations of that from the Old. i would to take you one in the New. This is Matthew chapter 17. Now, <clears throat> I enjoy the opportunity to fish, and I appreciate fishermen. I told you before, my grandpa's possession was at Picture of him down on one knee with a striped bass that hung over both sides as he spread his arms. Out. I saw a man this week who had seven days vacation. He caught eight fish. Not each day. That was all a caught. And his wife would say, Hey, you're the fisherman. <laughs> yeah, he'd like to be reminded of that. Things didn't work out so well. well. We talked about Peter last week. Well, let's revisit Peter. Matthew 17. I want you to see something here. We'll start reading at verse 24. Now, Capernaum was one of the towns on the coast of the Sea of Galilee, up in the north district. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money, hey, that's the IRS, okay? You owe, you owe, you better pay, or they got a place for you to stay. They that received tribute money came to Peter and said, if not your master pay tribute, I don't know that Peter gave a thought to paying taxes, paying tribute to the Romans. But he was confronted with this. They came to Peter and said, doesn't your leader pay? He owes. And I don't know that Peter kept a running account of how much <clears throat> was in the pockets. But he gets to think. And you know, sometimes when people get to thinking, instead of trusting in the Lord, I think I think I read somewhere, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths." But you know what we do? We hear about something. Do we have enough money in the bank? We're going to be able to pay that. How, how, how are we going to make it? We do a couple up in Oregon. She would always get the bills and take care of them. One month, she was away and the mailman came and Jones looked. his name was Joe, and he looked so, and by the time Martha came home, he was, he was at the table, what do you mean? Look all these bills, I got this. Don't worry your head on that, I take care of that every month. But where's the money come from? You have a job, I have the checkbook, I take care of things. 99% of the time, if you need money, if I don't have loose change, I know who keeps the checkbook. (laughs) Yeah? None of these two accounts with us. We have one checkbook, and she writes the line and shares those checks. I'm okay with that. But Peter was asked by the tax man, doesn't your master pay taxes? I'm sure Peter's thinking, oh, we we'll gonna have to pass the hat. What are we going to do? How did the Lord take care of that? If you read your Bible, you know what the Lord did. It's not the way I would have done it if I were the Lord. I'm not the Lord. I'm not smart enough, powerful enough, resourceful enough. But here is what the Lord did with Peter. Peter's probably, how are you going to do that? How's that going to happen? What are the odds? The Lord's got the odds covered. And he responded to the IRS guy, he said, yes. And then he said, oh boy, what are we going to do? And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented, means stopped him, because the Lord knew what was on the guy's mind. Saying, what thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take customer tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Who do you expect them to go to to get revenue? So it should have been obvious to Peter that the Lord knew everything about what was going to happen. Peter said, Of strangers. Jesus said to them, Then are the children free? How are we going to cover this, Peter? Did he say? Don't sweat. I used to know a fellow when people would come to him he'd say, the Lord will provide. And when he said that, he said, I'll sit back and see what somebody else is going to do. I'll let them provide. That's not the attitude we should take. The Lord does provide. How did the Lord provide? He didn't say, well Peter, you got money in your pocket. On one occasion, when they said, Lord, how, the people are here, and a lot of them they are hungry. Lord, said, so You feed them. They're probably, Can't you just do something? We don't have much. You expect us to dig in our pockets and do this, that, and the other? If you have an opportunity to give, you ought to give. Right. Brother, you didn't happen to get a total uh, $993. you see people sit around and wait for the Lord to deal with things somebody asked me about capital punishment no, God told Noah in chapter 9 of Genesis whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed you see some people think they act so pious oh well if the Lord wants them dead he can kill them of course he can but the Lord told us to take it, and that's why we have human government. Paul said he doesn't wield the sword in vain. There's a reason why we have human government. God's a lot smarter than all of us put together. And he said, you deal with this. You deal with this. But Peter's a fisherman. He's used to catching lots and lots and lots of fish. He'd be disappointed if he don't have What little fishy to show for it. But that's what's going to happen. How does the Lord solve the problem, get the tax money to be paid? Well, if I told you this, and you didn't have a Bible, you just make it up, preacher. That's just some story you're telling there. Now, let's just read the last verse in this chapter. It's a long one, but it's got a lot in it notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea. Now where was Peter going to go? I'm not sure that Peter knew, but the Lord knew exactly the place, exactly the time, and exactly what he was going to cast in, and he knew exactly what fish was going to bite, and he knew that that fish would have exactly the right amount of money to pay the tax. What a ding! No, it's no ding. It was ordained of God. Amen. What are the odds? I don't know what the odds are. But that's exactly what happened. So the Lord says, we don't want to offend. You go to the sea How do I know it's the right place? You just go. Because the Lord knows. Because somewhere, somehow, some fish managed to get this coin stuck in his mouth. He didn't spit it out. He didn't swallow it. It was stuck in his mouth. And he's just swimming around being a fish. And he sees a hook. And he went for that hook while he still had that coin in his mouth. Hey, he's hooked! Well, what if the fish gets away? That's what we do. I do that a lot. Well, Lord, what if, what if, what if? The Lord is more powerful than all of your what ifs. That's right. Do you know that? You can worry, worry. They told, they told us right before we got married if people waited until they could afford it to get married, they'd never get married. I'm glad I don't still call you Miss Harris. <laughs> it's called faith, folks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes our faith is so weak. We're like the fellow of Lord, I believe, help out mine unbelief. Yeah. I told you there's a lot in this verse. we will only have about halfway through here. He says, Go out of the sea, cast in hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up. You don't have to catch about 25 of them and pick the best one. No. The very first fish you hook, you pull it in. But what? Let me finish, Peter. I'm like Peter, like that. You know, March would be telling me, just let me finish. You know, you get a whole thing, you'll answer your question. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. Wow! The Lord has got you covered. He doesn't, he didn't say now, Peter, I want you to take up a collection. Peter, I want you to mail out requests. Peter, I want you, no! He says, go to the sea. Where? Go to the sea. Because the Lord knew where he was going to go. When he'd be there. And somehow, in God's marvelous way, he guided that fish. That fish had a date with destiny. He didn't know it. Think of the fish, hey, fellas, today I'm going to be involved in a great thing. I'm going to help the work of Jesus Christ. No, I don't know the fish, even though they live in schools. They're not that smart. And so, here's this, here's this fish... And he uh, swimming around with a coin in his mouth. And he's in uh, just the right place at just the right time. And just the right fisherman came to just the right spot. And throws it just the right hook. And he's got him. And he brings him out. It was a fish. There didn't have to be a hundred fish. There didn't have to be a hundred arrows in the sky. There didn't have to be a hundred women come out and say, I'm a candidate to become Isaac's bride. It only takes one. It only takes one. It only takes one. That stone that David had to sing, he picked up five that it only took one to take out Goliath. I hope that makes an impression on you. It makes an impression on me that with the most unlikely way. Now there are many other instances, but I think those three will suffice for today to know that ours is a great God. Amen. <clears throat> and there are no accidents. The people that you have met in your life, the precious people that have lived for the Lord, Wednesday afternoon, we said goodbye to a dear lady I was her pastor for 28 years. If she'd lived just a few more weeks, she'd have been 92. And she was somebody who invested her life in others. She was not miserly with her time and her talents. She cared about people. She had children. Grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Loved in the church, loved in her neighborhood. Loved in the volunteer work that she did. Loved in the jobs that she held. She was a force for good. We've been learning about good works (coughs) in Sunday school. That's not just a, okay, I got it now, but forget about it now. Take it with you. Maintain good works. Didn't we read that twice in one chapter? That's the kind of God we have. That's the kind of service that we ought to render. May the Lord and His blessing must study this word. Can we have a song for you? After we have our meal, we have them home.